0: Hello and welcome to Session 3 of The Rink Shrinks. I'm Brian Yandel. And I'm Mike Motto. Great session on tap for you listeners today. We have Keith Yandel, three-time NHL All-Star, current NHL Ironman, coming into the studio to uh, sit down and chat with us. And we also are going to be recording a phone interview with Derek Morris, former Boston Bruin, uh, New York Ranger, Phoenix Coyote, Calgary Flame. Played over uh, 1,100 games in the NHL, so it'll be nice chatting with him. He's also coaching out in the um, Arizona area, so it's... Pretty special to have him on board. He was also a big influence on Keith's career, so be nice to chat with
1: him and catch up. Yeah, and a former Regina Pat, former teammate of a a good buddy of mine, Boyd Kane. So, some good stuff on tap here, so uh, let's get into it here.
0: First of all, on a little sadder news, we'd like to uh, dedicate this episode to Wes Tuttle. Wes passed away over the weekend. He was a a fixture at the New England Sports Center out in Marlboro. And for any of you listeners uh, who I'm sure have all passed through the the New England Sports Center, uh, Wes was the man behind the scenes up there. Wes coached me for the Minuteman Flames when I was uh, an eighth grader. Him and Larue Renfro, I was fortunate enough to know Wes on a on a you know as a coach and also on a professional level, working together when I was uh, running the Terriers and he was running the Flames with the in the EHF. Just sad news over over the weekend on the passing of him and uh, you know with heavy hearts. Goes out to all the people at the New England Sports Center and the Minuteman Flames, and a great guy. So we'd definitely like to def- dedicate the episode to him.
1: Yeah, our thoughts and prayers are with Wes and his uh, his family. We need more people like him in the game who, who cared for the kids and, and wanted to grow it in the right way. So, again, dedicating this episode is a, a small thing we can do, but uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. So, March, how was the uh, how was the weekend? Anything good? Anything happened in the last couple weeks here? We ended up playing some games up. Uh, in New Hampshire, in Hudson, a couple uh, showcase games. You know, it's good. It's good to get some real hockey under the belt. You know, again, we're we're trying to, and the boys. You know, again, we're talking about U15 age. Their timetable to kind of get it, uh, quote unquote, is uh, is closing. You know, they're 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 ready, getting ready for the high school season. You know, it's some of the the stress points that happen in in a game in areas of the ice are, are kind of what we. We, we like to talk about and, and coach and you know it's it's a learning process for sure but um you know we I, I keep stressing that the nhl level watch the games and understand those situational tendencies if you're a winger learning you know how to get the puck out there's different scenarios that do happen so it's not always a cookie cutter answer so you have to be able to adapt on the fly and read and react so we do have some really good players and we, we do like to uh you know kind of stretch stretch the ice and and kind of really uh push their kind of learning curve so it's a lot of fun you know but um you know we went one-on-one over the weekend and looking forward to getting back at practice this week
0: yeah that's awesome that's awesome i had a couple games over the weekend uh with with all three of my boys and
1: one interesting note we were up at
0: uh at Merrimack College, and uh, they're not allowing parents in the rink, which was kind of a... Uh, a win. It's a win. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty interesting to, you know, parents were a little up in arms. We had guys trying to stream the games and all that type of stuff. Amazingly, the kids were able to do it without, you know, the hand signals in the crowd from mom and dad and all that stuff like we, like we had talked about. So uh, it, it was all good. and uh,
1: yeah, On a serious note, though, that, that's a little disappointing for the parent to drive all that way and not be able to see your son or daughter play one thing that I wanted to mention was, you know, we're talking about do's and don'ts, a lot of don'ts. You know, I know kids are listening and it's difficult to to realize how much time and effort your parents are putting in right now. But, you know, every once in a while, try to take a breath and and notice how much, um, you know, your parents are providing for you from equipment to ice time to their time. And uh, maybe chuck a little thank you at them and You know, that's something that, you know, you you learn later on in your life where you can look back and see how much your parents uh, influenced your career as you hear all these NHL guys and and they definitely talk about that experience and the perspective of parents getting up early and and getting them to the rink and, you know, allowing them to practice and and get all the cool equipment. And we are talking do's and don'ts. And ultimately, uh, we want to say thank you to the parents for, you know, allowing your kids to play and allowing us to coach and continue to grow this great game.
0: Yeah, no, that's something I always say to the kids is make sure you thank your parents. It's a, it's a simple gesture. They appreciate it, that's for sure. We're recording this in, in Monday and we're heading into game 2 of the Stanley Cup. We're in the the middle of the series. What's your thoughts so far, obviously at this point, Dallas is up 1 to nothing and uh, you know, game game 2 will take place tonight, but by the time this is recorded, we'll be uh, released, it'll be game 4, so we'll be on
1: tap. Two great teams, I, you know, originally I, I figured Dallas wouldn't have, I wouldn't say the depth, I, yeah, I guess the depth of of Tampa, but they're they're believing there, you know, they're believing in themselves, they're playing as a team, they're getting some great goaltending uh, from Hudobin, uh, who's a great kid. I was a, a black ace with him, with the, uh, with the Boston Bruins there, and super kid, and um, that believability, they're playing for him, he's playing for them, it's, it's just a great uh, thing to see. But t- Tampa's uh, very dangerous. They have a ton of talent. The specialty teams are going to come into play in this series, so I'm just excited to watch some hockey. You know, it's um, yeah, it's, it's an yeah, it's an exciting time. You know, Stanley Cup, whether you know the pandemic or not, it's it's uh, the highest level you can get and the best uh, and most difficult trophy to win. So excited to see how it all shakes out. I love seeing the uh, picture on Twitter of. Uh, hudobin like
0: with the gigantic 20 ounce beer and the pile of chicken wings in front of him too it makes me feel good about myself <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> to see it see a guy that could potentially win the stanley cup bearing a, a
1: huge plate of wings you know yeah you know he, he's definitely a, a guy that keeps guys loose and um like i said guys are playing in front of him blocking shots and he's doing his part too
0: no but i think we gotta stick to it obviously at this point uh the tamper is down in the series but i think they make a comeback and uh we predicted when we uh, Mots and I went on Spit and Chicklets and recording an episode last week. We uh, we both
1: I think made the prediction that tam- it was it was Tampa's year. No, they've they've been through the ring a bunch and they uh, they've gotten close and learning how to win. Like I said, a lot of uh, great talent that that can uh, come through in, in tight situations. So.
0: Yeah, they got a great secondary scoring on top of, obviously, the high-end talent that they have, and it, it was funny. I, uh, I, I was going through Twitter, and I saw a tweet from Jeff Marrick, who obviously works up in Canada and uh, with TSN, I believe, and uh, Anthony Sorelli, who scored the game-winning goal in the series versus the Islanders. It was a picture of him, and, and the tweet goes, Anthony Sorelli, 9 years old and a pitcher, playing at the A level for the Humberview Huskies, not AAA or elite program. Not all kids develop early, relax, let them have fun. And, uh, you know, this is right after he scored the game-winning goal to, to send his team to the Stanley Cup, so... Part of the message that we're trying to get across here is trust the process. If your kid's not the best player at 9 or 10 or even 11, he still could get there. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a long process, and, and not always the best player at that age is the guy that ends up making in the NHL, and there's a perfect example of it.
1: Yeah, that's a great tweet. You know, just you respect the the, the process and, and respect the, the developmental curve of different players, and like you said, everyone develops at their own pace. It's a good reminder to... Some parents and, and even the kids that you know you can get to the highest level that you um, you want to achieve and it's there's no rush to it you put the time in you put the work in you put the reps in um, there's going to be uh, a, a certain amount of development that happens for you and you know certain people can t- you know kind of shoot a little bit higher than others but ultimately it's it's a it's a process and uh, that's a great tweet great reminder and it's kind of nice to. Uh, I showed my, my son. I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, you're yeah, yeah. You're just kind of plugging along in. You can have. Uh...
0: Well, that's I, I think that's the biggest thing, too, is is a lot of these kids at you know, at 14, 15, 16, if you stay with it, you have a good chance. You know, if you have the talent and you put the work in on the ice, off the ice and, and you are dedicated to it and you listen to your coaches and you're a coachable kid, the opportunities are going to come. It may not be right away, but if you
1: stay with it and you have good athletic genes, then, you know, you should be all right. What I mentioned to the boys that I'm coaching now—it's—it's it's their journey. You have to have fun and enjoy the process, the work that you put in, and then you see the results and realize the results. It's—it's it's pretty uh, pretty fun. And as a coach, when you able to put them in situations or give them information that they can process, it's—it's it's that much more rewarding.
0: The other thing was, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting tweet that we saw over the, um, you know, the past week or so here was, over 26% of the NHL players are born in the U.S. Over 55% of the American-born players come from Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, or New York. Minnesota has the most current NHL players, but
1: Mass has the most talent based on points scored, which is pretty interesting. No, Yeah, I think that's a great stat. As far as the kind of the landscape of the nhl over the, the course of a few decades junior hockey really uh was kind of like the driving force behind the nhl but there's been college players that have have made an impact uh early and i i look at it as management there was a a, a tweet about when zito got the the job in florida. florida uh how many nhl gms went to college and there was he was the 13th wow yeah so that's it's kind of shows you how the landscape has changed, and I feel that when the salary cap came into play, you had to make better decisions on personnel and couldn't just have a you know a dead contract. It, it hurt your team versus uh, you know just being able to you know put bury him in the minors or, or hide them. So in the value of having a, a player who has a little bit more structure going to college, the academics, the 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 routine, time management. And then working out in the in the gym because there's not as many games, and you get a little bit more physical development in the gym. So th- those are the positives I think uh, that come from college. And you see some of these kids who who could be one and done because they're so talented. But then you get a lot of uh, other players that that spend a lot of time in um, in college, whether it be you know two, three, or or the four years, and they come out a little bit more mature, a little bit. They can play a heavier game. They can process the game a little bit more. So. Couple different paths there, but um, college is a great route. I can speak from experience, but you know, also it's not for everyone. We'll
0: talk to K.Y. about it coming up here soon. One thing, Mats and I want to talk about today is is we're we're both multi sport athletes. We really think that kids can benefit from from playing other sports, and uh, there's a lot of what we like to call transferable skills between different sports. So Martz and I, we kind of have a list of a, of a few different sports and, and different things that we see the benefits of, of of these kids being non-specialized athletes. So many of these kids nowadays at 9, 10, 11 years old, they're just, you know, you ask them what sport they play and they say, oh, I, I just play hockey. To us, I, it, it's very frustrating. You know, these kids need to be athletes um, first and foremost. We get it. We've we've had a couple interviews already that you guys have listened to with Ryan Shea and and Brian Boyle and those guys. They played multiple sports, and and we see the benefits in it.
1: You know, number one, it's fun to play other sports. Those transferable skill sets uh, allow you to pick up the skills of hockey a little bit better, a little bit quicker, maybe hone them in a little bit more. It's just awareness as well, you know, athletic awareness. And that's one of the things that we've been stressing on the ice, you know, the hockey IQ side of things. And you learn to be an athlete, you learn to be in different situations, and then then you can apply it to a, a single sport eventually. But, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest things that is very difficult because there's a lot of commitment early on. You're paying quite a bit of money to play for these travel teams or this, these organizations, and it, it does pull you towards that organization or that sport. So... Ultimately, it's it's uh, it's a money-based thing, but if you can try to you know spread it out enough and and keep it in perspective and and try to still play those sports because back in the day it was always you know fall those fall sports winter was hockey and then you get the spring sports and then summer you could do a bunch of different things and I know the landscape has changed but ultimately there's, there is uh, still room for that athlete to continue to play other sports and then apply it to hockey.
0: List off maybe a couple sports that you think are, are really important and, and you know they do you know those transferable skills that we talk about maybe in
1: each sport or a couple sports. I would say soccer is a really good you know in relation to hockey it's a bigger field the concepts, so puck support ball support working to get into position for a teammate a lot of the europeans that i played with played soccer all the way through so like you see guys in the nhl playing soccer before games and and using it as a warm-up you know if you condense that field a lot of it is very similar kind of putting a ball to an area so someone can go get it that would be like a dump in regrouping, you know, kicking it back to the uh to the D so then you can maintain possession. You know, there's a lot of athletic intelligence that goes along with it that can be transferred. And then physically, you know, you have to run a lot and you get you get your cardio and those key points. Basketball is kind of tough to play alongside hockey because it's, you know, a winter sport, but good foot movement but defending, if you're playing basketball, you know, you're defending a player, you're not going to just let him go to the hoop, so you want to keep yourself between the hoop in the player, and you know they start getting it a little bit more. Like right. I'm like, you're at recess here in PE. You know, you're not gonna let the dude just go in for a layup. Right, those type of concepts, you know, good footwork there, and also when you think about especially hoop, you recognize,
0: all right, this guy's right hand dominant, and I'm going to force him to his left, right? I'm going to, you know, and it it transfers just the same way to hockey. All right, I want to force this guy to his backhand if I'm defending, right? Or I'm going to exactly. take an angle and force him away to the away from the net.
1: Well, and that's that, that's like the next level, right? Where you like you start processing it. You see him always going to his right, so you start trying to make him go to his weak side. Um, same thing with lacrosse. I played lacrosse in high school. I played baseball up, up until high school. didn't play yet there, but then I played uh, some ball outside of uh, there. And, but I picked up lacrosse, and it was a cool. Oh, pool. yeah, lacrosse is awesome. Yeah, and then that's very similar. Like left-hand, right-hand dominant, you can defend. Uh, footwork moving to the spot, and then when the ball's on the ground, you can hit anyone within five yards, which, which was pretty good. Yeah, great slashing, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get the chop, and those long stick defensemen are like... It, yeah, I had no clue, actually, what I was doing, and I thought you could just, like, whack. Yeah. You're supposed to be, like, going Why, for the Why, you can't? <laughs> so I'm, like, taking two handers at the guy, like, in his hip, and, he, and like, the ref's like, what are you doing? <laughs> All right. He's like, you got to be going for the stick, you know, yeah. when he has the ball in it. <laughs> you can't just line the guy up at the kneecap. Yeah, I was just t- taking hacks at him, chopping wood. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Well exciting news for the ring shrinks. We got our first sponsor on the pod, which is which is great. Integral Hockey Stick Repair, Boston, which is a, a pretty cool concept. Obviously they repair broken sticks. All the you know, the the prices of these twigs nowadays are, are crazy expensive. And what these guys do is they take a broken stick and they actually fuse it together and it it comes out as good as new much. You were able to actually sample one.
1: Yeah, and they have a lifetime guarantee on that that fused uh, spot, so that's um, amazing. So don't throw it away. Keep it in play. It's a a great concept. They're located in Quincy and serving Boston Metro, South Shore, and Cape Cod. But I was able to um, use one of Keith Yandel's sticks. Wow. Yeah. So it was broken in the blade. They fused uh, the blade (laughs) together. I had to um, apologize to my son's goaltenders and in advance you know. high heat yeah i was just i was like i got a new twig uh integral hockey repair uh, it's going to be coming in hot so um <laughs> you know so i just i had to apologize in advance so but uh, how was it with
0: the curve and stuff was it they, they they fuse it together and it's basically it's back to the same right yeah
1: absolutely they, they match it right up and you know you can just you can see where it where it, they put it together but there's there's no um there's no difference when in performance I think it's a great concept. I have uh, three kids playing, and the price of uh, sticks have gone through the roof. And if it's out of warranty, this is a great alternative to fuse the stick together and keep it in play. And speaking from experience, you know, I saw no difference in uh, the performance of it. I was actually shooting it pretty good, so... Yeah, you have one to to try out as well. I got well. one
0: to try out tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can do, see how the sauce game is, and and might have to rip a couple one time is that there, and and you know the best part about it is, like you said, obviously the the price is uh, of these sticks is, is is crazy, but any rink shrink listener uh, will receive a 10% off discount by using the word shrinks on their website, and there's also a uh, you know a lifetime warranty for. That fuse
1: pot, like you said, which is which is good stuff. So welcome to the podcast, Integral Hockey. Yeah, uh, great. Yeah, Joe Bartel's been doing a great job. It's a nice alternative to buying, going out buying another $250, dollars stick. So check out their website, use that discount code and give us some feedback on it.
0: Yeah, the website is um integralhockeyboston.com. You can contact Joe Bartel with any questions. So welcome aboard, Joe, and and you know, we appreciate the support here at the Rink Shrinks. And coming up after the break, we are joined in studio by Keith Yandel, current Florida Panthers defenseman, three-time All-Star, current Iron Man in the NHL. What else do we got? Handsome. Handsome, yeah. Good-looking dude. I don't know what my parents did wrong with me here, but it is what it is, I guess. And uh, we're, we're pumped to have Keith coming in. He'll be joining us shortly. Our next guest is the one and only, the number three for the third session of the Rink Shrinks, Keith Yandel. Very special episode to have him in here in studio with us. A couple highlights of Keith's career. He's played in 866 consecutive NHL games. He's a three-time NHL All-Star. He was the Canadian Hockey League Defenseman of the Year. He was the Quebec Major Junior League Defenseman of the Year. He's also played in 976 NHL games with the Phoenix Coyotes, New York Rangers, and Florida Panthers. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Great intro, bringing up. Stats from Junior. I like it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You should be his agent. Jerry Buckley and you could team up. Yeah.
0: I know. Buck's robbed uh, the bank a couple times for me, so he's doing good. Yeah, I was going to say, if I could just steal a percentage, I'd be all set. Wouldn't have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No,
2: I'd still do it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean a cop. You wouldn't have to be a cop.
0: Yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Uh well welcome thanks again for coming in. He's uh Keith sitting here. He's got some spandex on. He's got uh, nice tight shorts straight out of the workout uh room here. I think he's trying to send a message to the new GM down in Florida that he's uh he's back hitting it heavy and hard.
1: Yeah, the gym rat.
0: Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure he's listening, tuning in, checking in on me. So uh
2: figured I'd splash some water on my uh shirt and show up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you working out down in Foxborough? Yeah, like
2: yeah, still in Foxborough, been down there for probably five or six years, and easy commute, good guys down there, good group of guys, so it's uh, it's been
0: good. But no showers, obviously, right now because of COVID stuff. No that's showers, why, yeah. That's why Which,
2: he's in the sweaty spandex. I brought clothes and then uh, showed up. No one else had a gym bag, so I was like, oh, you know, like I've heard you guys talk about, the best times is in, in, the, in the locker room, in the shower, and having fun with the guys. So it's first day back, and you miss it.
0: Well, that's one thing, especially anybody that tunes into like the Florida Panthers uh, post game antics, and and you're definitely a, a, a huge locker room guy, and I think that uh, attributes to it to such a great career that you've had and, and continue to have. But you're, I don't think there's anybody that has any more fun in the locker room than than yourself.
2: No, yeah, I agree. And you know, when we were kids, Dad. Gave us a hard time, said, we don't have to leave in alphabetical order wise last. <laughs> so, you know, we were always just the guys that were in there. And I'm sure I learned it from you and wanting to be in the locker room, wanting to hang out with your teammates and be around and, you know, never miss out on anything.
1: Something that we chatted about being, you know, the locker room guy and, you know, the intangibles. But you also bring it on the ice, though, too. So, like, you're like a double threat guy, <laughs> you know, because I, I just got signed, you know, just for the intangibles. Well,
2: that's half the battle like yeah you said. That's it's what, a big one. yeah yeah i mean uh, you you could get it around out there you were you were nice on, on and
1: off so <laughs> but the double threat is nice you know and we were looking over some of your stats and you know leading the team in in phoenix for a couple years there and just pushing pucks you're like an apple orchard just just, just, <laughs> just <laughs> dishing i love it i love watching you play and you know, i was fortunate enough to play against you a few times and It's Always fun when you have a vested interest in in watching a game. And you know, I, Brian, you know, as proud as he is, you know, it's it's for me like it's nice to have a local guy doing great and just really happy for you to continue your career. And that Ironman streak is still intact, which is great. You got hit with the puck there. Um, yeah, yeah, and I was surprised uh, right
2: before Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, had to miss my favorite meal. Thanksgiving.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, could I could only drink the gravy this year?
1: So it didn't make you any ugl- uglier though?
2: No, no. It actually probably helped me so out good. a little bit, yeah. After uh, 30 hours in the chair, got some new teeth and uh, can actually smile now and some not be ashamed.
0: I should think about that for the nose. Maybe if I if I get yeah. a puck off the, off the beak a yeah. couple hours in the chair, I might be all set. I go from go like from like a two to a, yeah. 2 to a 2 to a strong four. 5. Yeah. A 4. Oh, man, I gave myself the 5 too. Yeah, road 4 probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bubble 4. Um, <laughs> <A> bubble
2: 4. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, we uh, I had Rob Griffin as a coach and we used to go to all the BC games. It was all always young kids at those games. It was us and then like 287-year-old men with the same polo shirt and hat on and uh pike speed club yeah yeah exactly and um always remember watching you um you know, brian jaunt uh those teams run real who's the goalie uh Clementson. clements yeah clemer the best yeah. he's the best guy and uh you know those those teams are you know it's kind of probably the age i was probably when did you graduate
1: 2000
2: yeah so i was you know seventh, eighth grade, Monts is getting
0: old. Yeah, 2000. Yeah.
2: Well, that's it. My seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, that's when you start, you know, really falling in love with the game. And I think, uh, you had a lot to do with that. Watching you lug the mail back in the day,
0: <laughs> Mots was number three, too. Yeah, yeah, number
2: three, Hobie Baker. It was a uh, fun oh, My yeah. kid from Avon. You see him at Jordan's Furniture whenever you went, and it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was nice to see. We, Working at Mums.
1: Yeah, uh, we, we have privileges. The Spaceball. What's that ice cream that they got? There? Yeah, spaceballs. I, I brought my date. My dates there. My wife. Yeah, <clears> that's date. where she fell <laughs> for you. I was gonna your say one date. <laughs>
2: that's where you got engaged. Yeah. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, it's you know, a- Avon's a great town. You know, yeah.
0: So uh, <laughs> uh, to bring it back, a uh, you know, you you talked about your your youth hockey and briefly, but. Bring the listeners back to kind of where it all began for you. Obviously, I, I like to talk for you a lot, but I'd like to, since you're here, uh, listen to, to your story and your upbringing and, and how you fell in love with the game. Well, I think
2: for me, a lot of it was, I'm sure like everybody, just playing street hockey, being being outside, um, falling. I was lucky enough to have you as an older brother to that was kind of paving the way of, you know, obviously not just hockey, but baseball, lacrosse, everything where you're, As a kid, you want to do what your older brother's doing or your older sister. And, you know, I had great role role models in you and Lauren. So it was watching you guys, uh, you know, play sports, be active and being good uh, citizens, I guess. And, you
0: know, I think model citizens. Yeah.
2: And a model. I think for me, it was like falling in love with hockey was just kind of just getting the invite from your older brother to go play street hockey. Obviously, for me, it was you get stuck in the net and getting, you know, everyone knows how hard Brian could shoot it. So you're getting you know, pucks and balls shot at your head and, uh, you know, but just being out there, it was, um, you know, probably the, the times you cherished the most as a kid.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the interesting things is obviously, and you know, a lot of people may not know it, but you, you used to play the game, you know, half the game as a forward or a defenseman and the other half it in, in that talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. So that was probably, I mean, I, I loved goalie. I loved playing goalie. Um, Consider my, I was pretty good. As yeah, a no, kid. you were, you were solid. Yeah, and probably better at goalie. And get, when we got older, you know, it was it was expensive. You know, you, you, you your parents couldn't go out and buy you equipment. So when I was getting him, I remember my equipment was like uh, I had it was like the Hartford Whalers colors, yes, Vaughn pads, and you know, I wore like just a regular helmet and stuff. But uh, you know, I think when you got to the age where it was kind of like all right, you're gonna have to start buying your own stuff. It was kind of when I had to shut it down. But I definitely enjoyed playing goalie. Um, Glad I didn't stick with goalie because goalies are crazy. But um, And you got to be crazy to take shots that guys are taking nowadays. And I don't think I would have... made it very far being a goalie.
1: Talking about Scott Clementson, he's the the most normal goalie that I ever met. Yeah. You know,
2: cuz he doesn't go down, he just stands up. He's a
1: stand-up goalie, a
2: stand-up guy too. <laughs>
1: Throw back. Throw back. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, I mean, we we talked uh, earlier about the um importance of playing other sports and uh being an athlete first and it's a little more difficult now uh, because there's so much, you know, g- going into uh the travel teams mm-hmm. and the commitment that it takes to in the finances, so can you just talk about a little bit when you're coming up, um, what sports you played and, and what uh, what kind of skill sets you think helped you become the player you are today in hockey?
2: We played everything. It was whatever that season was we played. It was baseball, you know, basketball, uh, and, and I remember when Peter Muse came uh, and, br- and brought lacrosse to our town. I think we were one of the first towns we really – didn't even have much competition to play against them. I think you guys were the first year, right?
0: Yeah, we were, and I was probably 12, 13. Yeah,
2: and then so and then we got it a couple of years later. I think, well, baseball, I think it, it's your hand-eye, your, uh, you learn the patience of the game, uh, trying to figure things out uh, differently. Obviously, it's a, not as fast-paced as hockey, but I think you you learn different things in baseball. Then Lacrosse I think really helped with the hand eye with the with the hands, the stick handling, um, being
0: aggressive. you at, weren't afraid to lay the lumber out yeah. there, especially in the early days.
2: Yeah, I I in lacrosse was I loved lacrosse and Milton we had really good lacrosse, probably because we were one of the first talents to have it. Um Duxbury was really good. Avon, I don't think, had a team. Um <laughs> but um yeah, no, it was you know, I think whatever whatever you could play. Um, you know, I remember playing, ba- uh, you know, basketball. Always wanted to play football. My dad would never let me. Glad he didn't, because those guys take some punishment. But uh, whatever we were playing, e- even if it wasn't during the season, we were playing wiffle ball, or pickup basketball, or stick flag ball, football flag football.
0: You were even. You had a little run as a skateboarder too.
2: Yeah. Trying to get we back almost, We
0: almost lost. we were just thrashing all over the neighborhood.
2: Yeah, I was. I was Kid the flipping
0: ex- his way down Fairbanks. I was the
2: only skateboarder in the history of skateboarding to not have a skateboard. Oh uh, yeah. So I just dressed the part and, and and hung out with the boys. We couldn't afford it. Yeah, I couldn't get one, but you know I'd use some of my friends. Um, just to- I had rollerblades. And I used to like rollerblade and do the grinds with the rollerblades <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Do my paper route on the roll blades, and then go over and like grind some stuff, but, uh, yeah, I was patriot ledger, yeah, yep, you know, uh yeah, I was a Tony Hawk, big Tony Hawk guy, but uh, yeah,
1: Do you remember think... who uh the biggest tip it was on your route,
2: yeah, I had this one lady, um, I don't remember her name, but she was a sweetheart, I used to go into her house, she'd make and she'd give me elastics. And it was the first time I ever, she goes, I'll give you a whole slew of them. I never heard that word, no, and I still use it to this day. I love it. And she's like, I'll give you a whole slew of elastics. And I'd just go in her house, she'd make, like, cookies, and I'd just sit there and talk. And I'd love talking to old people, still do. I'd sit there and talk for, like, 20 minutes with her, and she'd give me, like, you know, 10, 20 bucks every week. It was great. That's
0: awesome. Yeah.
1: you gotta, you got to get her name and. I yeah, would sure. say though, if you ranked
0: the paper boys in in our family, he was by far number three though. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He was. He was the one.
2: I'd sit at your house and hang on. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. I wouldn't deliver he any of that. I'd
0: just deliver the one. He delivered one paper. You'd had the. You, you have. Uh, it was an afternoon paper, right? So you know, you like that was your thing after school, but he'd like go to a friend's house and wouldn't come home, so. People would be calling the house at you know the house phone. Where's the paper at six o'clock at night? And then Saturday mornings, he was never, uh, still isn't, like a early riser guy. And and Saturday mornings was the one day you had to get up early. And he would, uh, my mother would be trying to drag him out of bed. Should have to drive him around, and you had to put the
1: papers together, right?
2: Yeah, it was the thick one on Saturday. Saturday, Sunday was a big girl.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What about when it was raining? Did did you have to put it in bags? Did you ask for a ride with Mom No, because
2: our parents weren't home in the afternoon, so we never got rides. You just have to grind it out. It was off. I remember one time getting hit by a a puddle. I was on the sidewalk, (laughs) and a guy hit me, and I was so mad. I just threw the bag down and and went home. I was like, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, but it was a good way to make some money as a kid, have some pocket change, get some starbursts and whatnot.
0: Lemon heads. Yeah. Lemon heads down at the uh, store. Tedeschi's.
2: Tadaskies.
0: we'll meet you at Tataski's. getting back so so obviously you grew up you you know you you were a goalie till you were nine ten years old and then you played um you kind of transitioned from Milton Youth Hockey into playing for select hockey playing with the Kings obviously you know team that that I had played for before and then you but you know you had some great coaches and stuff like that along the way who were some of the guys that that kind of impacted your career and the second part of it was you know, and and we asked these guys, all, all the guys, that it's you know, were you the you really weren't the one that was playing year round? Where you, yeah. you you you
2: no, I don't think I ever played in like a summer tournament. I remember you used to go play like some select like Iceman or like yeah once in a while, like maybe, maybe. once or twice. But
0: I was better than you though. That's right. yeah,
2: and I, it was just yeah, I was never asked to play in them. Um, so. Yeah. I never played in the summertime. Um, Obviously having dad as a coach was, was huge. Um, You know, you think back at even the commitment, I I see you guys doing it now. And it's just like the commitment parents have to helping their kids out. And, you know, with two, three kids playing hockey, four kids and, and, you know, finding ways to do it. And, you know, I wanted to make this point coming on the show is like, as a outsider looking in, not having any kids playing hockey, it's Parents, I think, have to respect the fact that who your kids are getting coached by right now, and especially when you guys have like, you know, someone like you or, you know, Brian Motts, you know, you you see Mike Greer, Jay Pandolfo, these guys coaching their kids. And uh, I think you got to be very thankful for that and just know that your kids are getting coached by as good as you can get right now. But I think for me, having dad, Rob Griffin, we just had those coaches from 10 years old till you went to high school and you know like i said mr muse when at uh when i played uh, milton hockey rest in peace mr muse one of the best guys ever he was one of those guys that kind of i was a little bit of a wild kite as a kid and let me be me and and do my thing and um you know definitely always remember him as one of my uh, one of my favorites
0: yeah and i mean you got to give a little shout out to our, our uncle mark Tully, who you know keith, <laughs> baseball
2: yeah he wasn't
0: keith, <laughs> keith was uh Keith was the kid that in in little league that he was a lefty. Say he grounded one to the shortstop, and the guy threw him out, and he was barely out of the batter's box. He'd like helmet off, slam it to the ground, argue with Th- the throwing umpire, bat. yeah. throwing you. bats. Like he was he was not the the most uh, model teammate. Or not I, w- I wouldn't say teammate. He was he was a fierce competitor, but he would he would argue anything, and and it was my my mother, uh, our mother, I should say was like horrified she wouldn't even go to these games and my uncle um drop me off
2: and say find a way home
0: yeah just find a way home and our uncle mark would luckily uh he had a son that uh, our cousin pat that was the same age that you know they used to keith would keith would have to play like up on summer league teams in the summer because my parents like yeah we're
1: not going to the games they well, can't teach that internal fire yeah
0: yeah that, that's what you,
1: <laughs> if you want to call, that, that, you call it was,
2: yeah it was aggressive but you know i i enjoyed it especially in baseball was you know, it could get boring, and uh, I think sparking up a uh, fight with the ump or yeah, something. He was like, like George that. Brett coming out <laughs> of the dugout, yeah, fighting
1: with Joe West. He was just heating up off the the bench, yeah. in the microwave. Yeah. Carlos <laughs> Baega. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, well, just you know, obviously, you went on to play at Cushing Academy for. Um, well, backtrack. You you know, you played your freshman year at uh, at Milton High School for. Uh, but Danny Shea, who's obviously a legend here in Massachusetts, and uh, you know you had a great team there, and and obviously then you went on to Cushing Academy. Talk about that experience quickly.
2: Actually, it was even before that. Was my eighth grade year. I was it's that year you go where half half the team was going into high school. I was a little bit younger in my Kings team, so it was like that split season year, and I moved down a year to go play with not moved down like basically a level to go play with the dynamos. I think that was the best thing for me because it was kind of the first year where I was, maybe the best player on the team or one of the best players, and had to be the guy. And I think that really helped me, um, you know, confidence wise and stuff. Uh, And that kind of translated over to Milton High, where you know we had a really good team. I was probably third or fourth defenseman on that team, second, third, fourth. Um, And we had some good players: Maddie Burke, Bubba Muse, uh, playing D. So it was one of those things we I enjoyed that. you know, I loved being a Milton High playing there, but you know, my goal was to go to Cushing and kind of follow in your footsteps and hopefully one day play college hockey. And, um, you know, going up to Cushing, it's like, you know, you feel like you're out of college, you, you're getting treated like, you know, goal, you're getting, you know, free sticks, and, and you're going to the rink every day, you're skating, um, you know, the ice is up, and, uh, you know, I think that's really where I uh, – Got a lot better just from, you know, skating as much as we could and, and being around guys that, uh, you know, knew were going to college and maybe getting drafted. And, uh, you know, definitely I love Cushing more than anything.
0: Yeah, you named his dog Cush. Yeah. <laughs> <is that>? yeah. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about the coaching up there too.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, we had, you know, Coach Jay, who's um, a high school legend, uh, you know, a guy that knew how to get – You know, the best out of his players, Um, you know, wasn't the biggest X's and O's. Guys just kind of gave you a game plan and and you went out and tried to execute it. And we always had good teams. So Um, and then you had uh, Bill Troy, one of the most competitive guys I've ever met, Uh, a guy that you would go through a wall for. Um, You know, he he treats everyone like it's his his own kids. So, um, you know, I love those guys more than anything. But and then my my. it was my first year, was 0-2, and it was uh, right after Ray Bork had won the Stanley Cup in 0-1, and he came up and um, he ran the D for us for for two years, and he was one year out of the NHL. Obviously, I th- I think the best ever, um, and just uh, having him up there uh, was insane for me. It was it was couldn't could have been better.
1: Yeah, that's a great. Great uh, person to mentor you mm-hmm. during that impressionable time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to watch him quite a bit and try to emulate some of his games. But when you get to talking to him, and he's just so intense, oh, yeah. and he he really loves kind of the intricacies of the game, the the things that really matter too. Yep. So when you're coming through in high school, it must have been just invaluable to have like that presence there. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's just a super guy too.
2: And he and he was there. He was there every single day. He didn't miss a practice. At his house and topsfield was probably an hour and a half from cushing and he drove he drove every day to practice to every game and you know obviously he wasn't doing it for the money wasn't doing it for the the uh fame he was just out there helping helping out uh basically the d i mean his son was a forward he didn't even deal with his son he was just helping out the d and helping us get better and uh i i owe probably everything to him
0: that's great That's good stuff. Um, Obviously, I had the chance to play for him for a year, too, and it was an amazing experience. And all those guys up there, Coach Troy and Coach Jay were, uh, Coach Jacobs are unbelievable people. And I mean, Coach Troy was a guy that when you were uh, fortunate enough to be stuck in summer school, you were living with him up there and and all that stuff. Uh, But like you said, he's a guy that, you know, he still calls us weekly and, you know, the f- the as soon as you got hurt this year with the, you know, the puck to the face, it wasn't five minutes later and my phone's ringing and it was Coach Troy, you know. But talk about maybe um, the decision to go from Cushing, um, you know, obviously where we're a New England-based show and a lot of kids from around here go, you know, they, they take the college route. Um, obviously, there's been a handful of guys that, that have had success going the major junior route and you being one of them. But just talk about that decision
2: you know, obviously my goal was to to go to UNH and, and play a year with you. And, you know, just to have dad and mom see us be able to go up and watch us play together, I thought would have been cool. But uh, it was kind of one of those things last minute for me where I had to take a summer school class to move up a year. And it, it just, I realized at that point that, you know, school really, well, I knew before school really wasn't my thing. But at that point, I knew time for me to really just focus on hockey and go the major junior route. And I honestly didn't know anything really about it. I called my mom on the payphone. I said, come and get me. And she was horrified. Like, Oh no. She was like, what am we getting into now? And, uh, you know, credit to them. They, they let me make my decision. I was young. I think I was 17 years old, turning 18, a couple months. And this is in the summertime too. So it wasn't, I think it was like maybe two or three weeks before camp, uh, of, of, major junior and it was uh you know one of those decisions where they you know had my back let me do kind of what I wanted um not sure I would let my kid do that you know if I could go back I mean obviously I wouldn't change anything but you know I think going the college road especially now with you know you're getting the exposure in college it's not like uh you need to go up and play you know 70 games to get recognized I think um I think the college route, or, or or major, whatever you do, as long as you get in your school, in it's um, make the decision that best fits you.
1: That's well said. You know, it's college is a great route. We ch- we chatted about it earlier. You know, there's different, you know, benefits to it. You know, there's less games, more of gym time. You know, time management with school and mm-hmm. whatnot. But again, it's not for everyone. But the the fact that you're you're able to make that decision, go up there, was it a little unnerving to get there and not know anyone and and just a different style of game and you know you're billeting and yeah so like you know just like the, all the unknown stuff and
2: yeah that it, it was scary it was it was kind of when I got there it kind of hit me and I was like I realized you know playing against guys who are fighting for I mean that realistically you, you don't have really the school to fall back on your only you know your your next step is to make it pro and you know, I realized every guy in that locker room was trying to do the same thing. And it, it it pushed me early. I was able to go to a training camp that year in Phoenix. I um, went to a training camp. So I kind of got a little taste of, you know, what the NHL was like and seeing that. And, um, you yeah, know, but I think for me, it just pushed me knowing that, you know, every guy on my team, every guy in the in the Quebec League um, was pushing themselves to, to go play in the NHL. And I think that, uh, that really helped me out. And I had a great coach. I had Teddy Nolan there, who was a who was a guy. He had coached in the NHL. He'd won a Jack Adams. Um, he knew how to treat guys, and that really helped me out. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was definitely scary. I, I, it was kind of that first day. I remember the first scrimmage we had. Oh man, I don't know how I'm gonna do in this league. And I remember I called um, I called one of my uncles, and he was like, "Just play your game. You'll be fine." Uh, he was like, "You're better than all these guys, anyways." And I was like, "I don't think so," but uh ended up working out i had a had a really good year um our team was awesome we had a we had a great team we host them, and i went up there and they were like yeah we're hosting the memorial cup i had no idea what it was um not that anyone from around here especially in a time where we didn't have the internet and there wasn't really you didn't know what else was going on besides in your new england bubble um so it was yeah it, it, it was definitely scary it was uh you know change a a change a world you go to a place french speaking um you know you're living with a family you're i wasn't in school uh so it was basically just i used to go to the school and kind of hang out a little bit but it was
0: uh one day i called him and he was up there and and i'm like oh what's up what are you doing like he had we had just got cell phones i was at college i'm like you know, I'm like, what? Oh, I, I'm sitting, I'm in school, and this, and I'm like, and you're on the phone? And he's like, Yeah, he's like, We just kind of hang out and whatever. And then all of a sudden, I hear somebody yelling at him in French, and I'm like, Oh, you gotta go. And he's like, No, no, no I had my hat on.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, All oh, right, I could use the phone. There was a phone at the school. Oh,
0: that's what it was. There was I used a phone. To go there. Up
2: on, I used to go on Mondays, I'd call Brian, I'd make my rounds, I'd call Brian, I'd call Billy Ryan, I'd call my house, just kind of check in, and you didn't get ding because I had a cell phone, but I couldn't even use it because. It'd be, like, seven bucks in a minute, and, uh, yeah, so I, I'd go to the school, and I'd make the my phone calls on Mondays, and, and kind of that was my uh, routine. <laughs> I mean, my, fir- my first phone bill, it was, like, 800 bucks, and I was, like, how am I going to pay this? And I, I showed my owner, and I was, like, hey, like, I can't pay for this. And he was, like, yeah, that's fine. Give it to me, and he paid myself phone bills the rest of the year. Uh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Irving. That's a little perk. That Irving. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's got, some, he's got yeah. some
0: dough. That's funny now, I mean obviously we could sit here and we could talk for hours and hours, but just talk about obviously you, you know you went you had a you know a, a you know kind of a year or so in in San antonio and then you were um fortunate enough to to jump in you know as a regular with the coyotes kind of in two thousand seven two thousand eight who were the you look back at the the rosters and stuff you had some pretty cool you know veteran guys some some guys that were around the league a long time and me knowing you as your as your older brother, you were a bit of a wild card. You needed some kind of reining in. But who were the guys that kind of impacted your career in that way?
2: Yeah, thank God I had you know guys like Shane Doan. Shane Doan's the guy that kind of took me under his ring, wing right away, and then you know was I was there the longest with him.
3: I'm Derek Morris, and you're listening to the New England Hockey Journals, the Ring Shrinks Hockey Podcast.
2: You know another guy that comes to mind, Derek Morris. I, he was you know he was a D man. He he, he had played with some guys from Boston. He kind of knew the, you know, the stigma of the Boston guys. He kind of got me as a person. Um, he was able to, you know, kind of rein me in when I needed to. He was a guy that was always there for me. Um, I don't think I paid for a meal for five years of playing with him. Just so good to me. Um, yeah, I think uh, Ken Klee, Keith Ballard, um, you know, Jeremy Ronick. The, those guys was I think JR, too, is a guy from around here. Playing with him my first year, was he was so good to me. I remember the first day he came up to me, was like, uh, oh, these colors look better than, on you than uh, than the purple and white at Cushing. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy knows who I am. Like just little things like that when you get to the NHL and, you know, just a cool thing to have. But, yeah, I'd say the, the two main guys that helped me out is definitely Shane Doan and uh, Derek Morris.
1: So important to feel that comfort level from a veteran player, and, you know, you've been around quite a bit, so do take some of those kind of experiences that you that you had as a rookie and kind of flip the script and, mm-hmm. and kind of kind of guide some younger guys or, you know, just make them feel more comfortable or, you know, like how you experience.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I, every year it's, you know, you see so many kids coming in and, you know, guys coming from a training camp and. You can just see it in their face that they're nervous they're you know not being themselves they're afraid to be around but every year you know i tell my wife um and the kids i say i'm gonna have we'll have somebody staying with us during training camp and whether it's a day or two or a week it's you don't know when guys are going to get sent down but i uh always give the open invitation to anyone who wants to come down early before camp and stay at our house and they got somewhere to stay so they don't have to pay for a hotel um or a car to drive to the rink, so it's I always uh, have the welcome, the open door invitation, and you know it's nice having young guys stay at the house that are uh,
0: closer in age to your kids. Yeah,
2: exactly. But you know the, it, it's good to have around. It keeps me young. It Play keeps, with the uh, kids in the pool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Babysit so me and Kristen can go out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, but it's definitely fun to be able to be in that position where you can help guys out and and you know, hopefully be an impact and a, a good role model.
1: Yeah, that's great. It's invaluable. That's kind of like the cycle and you're kind of right in the mix right now. And it's, it's kind of neat when, you know, so years later when, when guys come and talk to you, cause like I kind of went through it and, you know, like Vinny Trocek was, yeah. was in San Antonio with me when my tail end and, you know, seeing him do well and stuff like that. And, you know, he's. just keeping in touch it's it kind of like pays itself yeah you know like all those
2: guys adore you (laughs) yeah they i mean they they say that you took care of them and showed them the ropes and uh you know definitely helped them out
0: yeah so that's awesome it's awesome well i mean i think obviously we could sit here and chat for hours and we're we're we're, you know barely through his first year in phoenix at this point and, and he's been in the league for 14 years but we don't want to take too much of Keith's time, and and you know he'll obviously uh, come back for for another episode soon and, and and talk more and dive more into his NHL career and obviously his Ironman streak and you know obviously we didn't even get to the being up in the bubble and the playoffs and stuff like that, but I think we've uh, we've taken enough of Keith's time, so we uh, we really appreciate
1: you coming in. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot for for coming in and sharing some some early uh, experiences that you had, and always love uh, love chatting.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime, you guys. Need someone to talk to him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Awesome. Shrinks. Our next guest
0: is a special treat for us here, and we're also joined by Keith's going to stay on for the interview. Derek Morris is a longtime NHLer. He retired in 2013-2014. He played over 1,100 games in the NHL with the Calgary Flames, Colorado Avalanche, Phoenix Coyotes, Rangers, Bruins, and wrapped up his career back with the Coyotes for a few seasons. He was a member of the 97-98 NHL All Rookie Team, a first first round pick, 13th overall in the 1996 NHL Entry Draft uh, out of Sylvan Lake, Manitoba. Derek Morris, welcome to the show.
3: Alberta. Thanks, man. Hey, let's straighten this out first here. Manitoba and Alberta are not the same province, okay?
0: <laughs> gotcha. All right,
2: whatever. <laughs> Americans don't know anything about Canada. I was going to say, we don't. Hey, hey, I've been to uh... like
0: Montreal and Toronto a couple times.
2: <laughs> it's like saying uh, Minnesota and Massachusetts are the same. There we go. <laughs>
0: uh so mo talk to us obviously um you grew up obviously in western canada you played in the whl and and then obviously had a lengthy nhl career where you had the pleasure of playing with with my brother which was must have been a a, a real treat for you
3: (laughs) yeah you know what man I, I, i I, I was very fortunate in the NHL to play with great young defensemen. And, you know, I, obviously I had uh, Jans there for I think we might have played seven years on and off together. And, and it's nice to play with the defenseman when you know where they're going to be. You know, everybody thinks nowadays we got to play by ourselves as a defenseman. But the crucial thing for you to be successful was have a good partner. I believe the longevity of my career was due to playing with young kids like Jans and and keeping that spirit in the game for me.
0: It was always a pleasure turning on the TV and seeing you two it around, going D-to-D and, and throwing cross-ice saucer passes with that nice long heel curve that you used to rock. <laughs>
3: I think he was throwing the sauces. I was just trying to get him over flat to him. Oh, you, had, enough to you had the
2: best so- backhand and forehand sauce i ever seen, still to this day.
1: <laughs> how, how many three-on-ones did you have to defend? Oh.
3: Well, it just depended on what kind of shape I was in that year because I was trying to get up there. I just couldn't get up there. So quite a few, probably a half dozen or so. Yeah.
2: I used to I, I used to be able to pick up, like, the third guy coming back where you would – you you would, by the end of it, you were unbelievable on three-on-ones, taking three-on-ones.
1: So, yeah, do you have the phony hustle coming back being like, Mo's got this? Yeah,
2: Mo's got this. I know he's going to bail me out.
1: And then you just turn it back on going, going yeah. north?
3: He'd poke it up and I'd still be at the red.
1: <laughs> Must have
0: got a couple second apples though playing with playing with Keith right. at the time.
3: I kept telling everybody they were first ones but it doesn't
0: <laughs> matter. <laughs> briefly and and as you know you know here with the the rink shrinks you know what we're trying to do is is really educate parents and 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 players and you know this is something that that we want parents to be able to listen to in the car with their kids and to try to really try to educate and and, you know you've been fortunate now uh you have three boys and and i know you're involved in coaching in the arizona area but what are you seeing nowadays with with the you know with 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 the youth with the youth hockey players and and you know what's your perspective of it The,
3: the biggest Thing I'm seeing right now in youth hockey is the entitlement. I'm finding a lot of kids nowadays expect to just play equally to someone else even though they're not doing the same work. So the biggest fight I'm seeing in Arizona right now is teaching kids to understand that we have you know, as a, as a coach, we give them the information and provide what they need to do to improve and whatever they need to do to be ready for our system or whatever it is, what I'm finding is a lot of kids that don't figure it out still have that same entitlement where they they're not going to do the same work but they expect the same thing. So we're not getting out here. We're not getting kids as many kids through to junior as we probably could. And I think the the disconnects coming between with the entitlement as opposed to you know you have to earn what you get in hockey. That's one sport you can't have entitlement in.
2: Do you think that comes from the uh, parents, Mo, or uh, or or the kids? Mm-hmm.
3: You know what, I, I it's always the parents, I think, at first. I think it starts at the younger. What I'm seeing out here is it starts at the younger ages. And what you're finding is the kids get smart enough to figure out that, well, my mom or dad will, will kind of help me out here. And they're trying to do what's best for their child. But ultimately, as we know in hockey, it's not a sport where you're just going to get given it. So they're kind of doing a little disservice to the children as opposed to um, – Letting them figure it out. We know with hockey, nobody can get us there but ourselves. And and the day that we start expecting to get there, we start struggling. And that's what I'm seeing a lot right now in Arizona.
0: In in Arizona, I I know, speaking of Massachusetts, there's a lot of different, you know, we call them kind of program jumpers, right? But we're fortunate enough where there's so many teams in this 20, 30 mile radius that they could, you know, kids can basically, their entire youth hockey, they could go play for 10 different teams in 10 different years if they really wanted to, or they were, you know, their parents were that insane. How is it out, you know, out west where there's, you know, I know hockey's obviously getting big, but is there, is there that many programs or, or or teams? How's that work?
3: Yeah. What we're seeing in Arizona here is our top team in the valley would be considered the Coyotes program. And, um, what, uh, what, uh, what, what, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we don't cheer for them anymore do we no I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> but what, what i'm seeing is is a lot of kids like you said they do jump back and forth and what you're finding is not necessarily always being on the top program you're getting the best coaching you know so just to be on a team to win we can all win with the best kids let's be honest if we get the best kids across Wherever state we're in, we're probably going to be able to have a pretty successful team. Now, are we preparing kids for the best the best we can for the next level? I don't know. I'm not seeing that here with our with our top programs. And we're allowed to play, like you said, all over the Valley. So we don't have certain areas that you have to stay in. So if I'm in Scottsdale, I have to play in Scottsdale. And if I'm in Chandler, I have to play in Chandler. Kids can stretch out wherever they want. And our top kids are leaving to go play for Chicago Mission or Little Caesars in Detroit. They're recruiting a lot of our top kids. You know what? I, it's just the battle that it's going to be, and what it's doing is holding us back a little bit from growing as fast as we probably should. So they're basically always. going and billeting? Yeah. Like I, there's kids that are leaving here at 10, 11 years old and going to moving to Detroit to play on those teams. And to me, I, I, I don't know. It would be hard to have a kid at that age away from their parents and what they learn from their parents that's so crucial in their life skills. Are they getting those when they're leaving? I don't know, but they are leaving awfully early.
2: Mo, correct me if I'm wrong here. Like for you going, just going back a long time when you were a kid, like you played with the same 12, 13, 14 kids from your first year of playing hockey till you went to play in the dub, right?
3: Yeah. It, well, I went and played in Red Deer for the, I played minor hockey in Sylvan Lake. We had 13 kids. And then when I went to Bantam's, um, so when I turned 14, 15, some kids came in from out of, uh, other towns around. So like 20 minutes away, a kid, a couple of kids would come in and our population or our, uh, ranking would go up we'd go to AA, and then after that year i went to red deer for one year then we have a midget triple a and red deer but we we tend to play in our same areas but we're a lot like you we have a lot of hockey here you know we have three AAA programs and the rest are AA. so we have to tend to travel a lot to see games so a lot of places see our kids they get exposure and then they move on over to it so i don't know what the right or wrong thing is for me i grew up playing with the same kids and and i felt that was important yeah, so did
2: we, and I, I think that that was a, uh, you know, it's a huge thing. You, you know, I mean, obviously, some kids would leave, and you'd get one or two kids coming in. But uh, I think seeing the same kids and growing chemistry, and you know, just like it is in the NHL. The longer you play with somebody, the better off you are.
3: Right, exactly. And, you know, everybody always chases the almighty dream. Then you're trying to learn a new system, new players to play with. So you never really see what that team can do. Like you're saying, when you get used to each other and you can almost play blindfolded, like when I played with you, Keith, um, I could play the game easy. Like I knew if I go to one spot, you were going to be there. I knew if I brought someone here, you were going to be on the other side activating. So it, it makes the game so easy and then you have more success. So are we really helping them by moving them all over the t- all over the place all the time to win games? Mm-hmm. Or, or are we really teaching them what it really takes to be successful and understand how to play the game? And um, I feel you have to play with people for a while, like you're saying, in order for that to really show what you can really do.
0: Well, yeah. even
2: even for us, obviously, we... We had great chemistry on the ice, but...
0: Off the ice, too.
2: Yeah, off the ice. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, the best parts for me when we played together is you picking me up in the Chevy Saurus, driving to the game, getting a coffee, and, (laughs) you know, talking about the game or whatever else we needed to talk about and just, you know, learn... uh, Obviously, I learned so much from you about the game and, you know, about life, but it was kind of one of those things where you get that familiarity with somebody and it's... You know, whether it's a teammate or, you know, whether you're 10 years old or, in our case, when we were, you know, in 20s and 30s, it's uh, probably the most important thing in uh, in sports.
3: I agree, man. You know what I'm really seeing now that you say that is, you know, I have a team this year that I've had for two years. Oh, this will be my second year with them. And what I see is the kids that I've had for one year. um, Are really close kids. They're they're getting along good and everything. Then I bring in six, seven new kids and they're trying to figure out that whole thing again. Mm -hmm. It's so important to me and I I would think to you that the friendships we make in hockey that are rooted from minor hockey all the way till you play pro or whatever it is. I don't know if the kids nowadays are going to necessarily have those friendships from Many years of playing together because it's switching so much, as you said, and the stuff that you learn when you trust somebody or you see them do something, you play with them for four or five years and you realize he maybe have something to teach me that the, that even though I'm a, like, you're a better player than me, Keith, let's just face it.
2: No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say me. that.
3: But there were things that maybe I could help out with on the other end. And playing together, we earned that respect with each other, that we understood that. And that, I believe, was what helped us grow as partners at the time. And Mm -hmm. I'm seeing in hockey now, like my team, for example, this year, I'm preaching hard on equal. So no matter what you do, whether you're the best player, the worst player, whatever we are, we're all treated equal. So I expect every player on that ice, to hold the same accountability for each other. Now they're only 13 and they're going to go up and down, but kids need to understand that we're all equal on a team. And right now I'm finding that people are always comparing kid to kid to kid to kid. Oh, my little Johnny here is doing that. Well, then they say, Oh, little Johnny played well. And then you go look at the other parent where the kid's probably equivalent to him and they don't want to talk to that parent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a bad environment for us to raise kids in. And like you're saying, we need, to have these environments where kids can grow and grow friendships and grow people skills and learn from each other. And I, I think we're losing a little bit of that in Arizona.
0: Mo, it's funny you, you, you say it. Cause I had a meeting with my parents for, for all three of my teams. We just kicked off for like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but one of my messages was like, support your teammates, whether you're a parent, a lot of the negativity comes from parents. Right. And, and, it, and then the kid maybe hears it in the car and say, oh, well, you know, little little Johnny had a bad game today, and, you know, I think my kid should be playing with somebody else, and this, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and it's kids just want to go out and have fun, right? Like, they're not, they're out there to compete and enjoy the game, but it's when the parents start talking negative that, that you know, it, it impacts everything. It impacts the, the, the whole vibes of the team. You have parents walking out of the rink pissed off because their kid didn't score, and it's like, just just let them enjoy it, you know what I mean? We were fortunate enough to grow up with parents that they just supported our, uh, us in playing. They were just happy we weren't hanging out on the corner. That's what it's all about.
3: No, I agree, Brian. Uh, you know what we're I think what we're creating with these parents is exactly what you said, toxic environments. And you know, when it comes from your parents up, like I always have this meeting at the start of the year and I tell my parents, listen, come show up, have a great time, cheer for everybody on our team, and don't yell don't get, don't embarrass your kids. Because, for example, I had a coach or a kid that I played with and his dad. I played with him for five years when we were young. And his dad was nuts in the sense he'd scream and yell and get tossed out of the rink. And what what would we do on the bench? We'd look over at him and go, oh, there's the rough killer. Like, your dad's tossed again, you know. <laughs> it just It just hurts the child. And I think they think that they're doing the right thing. But that trickles down into their play, it trickles down, down into their development, and it sure messes up the locker room. And as we all know from playing the game, the locker has to be your safe haven where you go in there, close the door, and the boys love each other. You know, yeah. We can't have them coming in there, at closing the door, not feeling safe, not feeling like it's okay, this is our area to get away from my coach, my parents, and just enjoy being players. And when that goes out, I've had teams where... It, it just doesn't work. Your team doesn't maximize the abilities they have when their parents are bickering and then it's trickling down. Like you said, kids listen. They're smart. And they bring it into the locker room. And then, you know, those kids never grow because they're always looking for a reason that somebody else is better than them. And they're going to say, well, no, I'm better than him. And they just they look for an excuse to compare instead of just, like you said, hockey's fun, man. We're 13, 15 years old or oh, 12 so or 11 the last thing they should be worried about is what their parents are worried about. They should just be worried about playing the game and being 13.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, even like the NHL. um, Obviously you're going to be on a team where, you know, I'm not coming into the locker room or the guy next to me isn't coming in the locker room saying I'm better than Sasha Barkov. Like there are guys that are better than you. There are guys that you're better than, but everybody has a purpose on the team. Everyone, you know, if you pull on the rope the same way, you're going to win and you're going to help your team win. And uh, I think it's just knowing that and owning it and, and
0: being a good teammate. And, and you know, what and, can you do better? Like, what can you do to help the team win, right? Yeah. Maybe you're not the most skilled guy. Maybe you're not the guy that's going to score 50 goals a game or, um, you know, 50 goals a season, but you could be the guy that be a shutdown third-line guy and, and you might start developing those those skills at a younger age where you know that you can be the most reliable guy in the defensive zone. You're the guy that, you know, makes all the strong plays on the wall. You're the guy that gets the puck out in the defensive zone and that accountable guy. There's a role for everybody. And right. whether it's the NHL or, or any level, the team's not made up of, of 18 superstars. There's a reason why different teams win the Stanley cup every year.
3: Right. Well, look at Tampa two years ago. I, um, my, kids were sitting in here and, and we watch a lot of hockey and I watch it now as a coach so I'm always watching systems, criticizing how they play, whatever. I don't just watch the game anymore. So my kids come in and they go, hey, Dad, who are you going to take in the first round? I was like, Columbus. He's like, They're like, what? <laughs> Against Tampa? They had the best record. But we're talking about the same thing. Tampa had all offense. Yep. They didn't have what we need. That's so you need. You have to have some bite. Let's look at them this year. They bring in Coleman, Barkley, Goudreau, and Maroon. Uh, Maroon. So you bring in some bite, whether they fight or Bogosian. not, that's out of the game. But yeah, have Bogosian on the back end, exactly. You brought in some bite that, that totally turned that dynamic. So they still have their offense. But why are they where they're at right now? Is like we're saying, it's because those role players are so crucial for them. Yeah. And they're having success this year based on last year. All kids think they can play the top two lines. But realistically, we look at what they're doing. We look at where they're strong. Some kids are defensive-minded, they're going to play on the third line. That's a very important role, and it's still going to be a very important role as you go through your hockey. It's just we're losing that in hockey. Every kid thinks they got to be on the top two lines and score 500 goals, even though it's not reality. So those kids right here, for us, we have a lot of those third-line kids that are producing, so... We 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 can we produce a lot of, well, not produce, but we try to get a lot of kids that play both ways because what we're hearing now is, as Yanns can probably attest to, kids come out and want to play all offense. They have no idea how to play defense. Yeah. And to play a junior and pro, you got to understand that side. And we all came in and did that. I remember Yance coming in at, you know, what were you, 19 years old with a stick that was maximum length yeah. and straight offense, you know. You went down to the minors for one year or maybe a one and a half, two, whatever it was, and you came back up and you instantly were produ- producing in the NHL because you took care of your D zone first. Yeah. You know, it was, and you still it didn't lack your offense. It didn't change the player you were. You just had to learn that responsibility. Some players have to stay there and just play defense because they're not, they don't have the offensive ability that Keith has.
0: To get back to your career, I mean, just looking at your stats and, and you know, you came in as kind of. I mean, in Regina, your second year, you had 75 points in 67 games.
3: Yeah, yeah, I came in like that. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, I had Brian Sutter when I first came in. And all these people talk about all these people kicking and whacking and whatever they're doing, these these coaches now. And he was every single day on top of me and Jerome McGinley. Every single day. And we hated his guts. I hated his guts as a coach because I was like, God, this guy will not leave me alone, you know. He'd put me on the ice for one shift, pull me off, and sit me for a whole period, you know, and I wouldn't know what the hell I did. But what he was teaching me was to be more consistent, you know, to learn to play defensively because I realize now every time he sat me, I was up in the offense trying yeah, to get back. You were the
0: r- you know? boat gambler.
3: Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was, and I had no idea because when I was in junior, I would thought if I rush it up and they score, I'll get one next shift and make it even, you know. But in pro – I couldn't, get to, <laughs> I couldn't make it even, so he had to teach me to play defensively. So my role kind of shifted, and then I was very fortunate to play with like Keith, who was way more offensively talented than I ever was, even at my offensive moments. I learned that, hey, I can play the other role too, so I need to figure out how to play the other way so that he can be successful and we can be successful as partners. So I adjusted because of kids were coming in that were better than me.
0: I mean, one thing you definitely weren't weren't afraid to do, obviously, in looking at your uh, your, your stats here, is 1,107 games played in over a 1, thousand 1,004 penalty minutes. So you you, yeah. you sure weren't afraid to mix it up a notch. And I remember you telling me a story because I think when you went to Calgary is when our buddy uh, Chris O'Sullivan, who is a Boston guy, who's one of the most oh, yeah. skilled guys to <laughs> to ever lace him up, and he's not afraid of the last last guy back toe drag. But I remember you seeing. You telling me you saw him in training camp and were like, there's no way I'm going to be able to beat this guy out. What can I do to kind of stick here?
3: Yeah, exactly. One thing Zoe was was one of the most offensive gifted minds that I've ever seen. He has a high, high hockey IQ, like Keith. In order to be offensive, your hockey IQ has to be higher than everybody else. That's the reality of it. We all have a certain amount of hockey IQ, and, and he had extremely high. So when he came in, I was looking at him going like, well, I'm trying to do that, but it sure looks a lot easier for him, you know? <laughs> so I and, and he was getting, like, Brian Sutter was sitting and bringing him up and down. I was like, man, this guy's so good. Why are we doing this? And so I figured out, well, I better frickin' play hard defensively and at least try to figure that out and then add when I can offensively. So Sully was, you know, he was my first guy that I really looked at and said, like, geez, this guy's better than me offensively. That's, like you said, that's when I had to adjust and, To check your ego in hockey is the hardest thing you can do. It's the hardest thing to look at your own game and go, man, I wasn't very good. I didn't do it when I played. When I played, I would come off and bitch and moan and be like, oh, man, the coach didn't do this, or I was okay today. And then I watched the game after and realistically look at it and go, wow, like I wasn't very good. So self-assessing your play was the hardest thing for me to do. But thank God I was willing to do it,
0: you know. It was funny because I was you know looking at your rosters and stuff, and you played with some guys like, I mean, in Calgary, you had guys like Theo Fleury, and obviously you spoke of Jerome McGindler, and uh, and obviously when you moved over to Colorado, and the Joe Sakic's and Peter Forsberg's and uh, Rob Blake's of the world, Patrick Roir and Phil Housley, right? Uh, some <laughs> some legends of the game. Did one or two of those kind of older guys um, mentor you growing, you know, as as you grew up as a as a player?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I was very fortunate in Calgary. When I was there, we had a guy named Tommy Albelin, and he had come from uh, New Jersey, and they were winning the Cups back then in the 90s, and -hmm. they were playing that real defensive system. So I got put with him right away. Right? I didn't understand the player he was at first when I went up. I was 19. So I I didn't understand the player he was, but I watched him play, and he just was like, he was old school. So back in 97, when I started, we didn't have stick-on-puck quite as much as they do now. He was like a specialist they just poke pucks away boom 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 you know and i just sit over there and go like wow how does this guy do it he can barely make a pass d to d but he's unbelievable defensively right then i had james patrick who was incredible one of the best men you'll ever meet they called him jeep he played with the rangers a little bit stuff he was just i had some very good guys there and then when i got traded to colorado i had blake um foot i had debris was there you know like they had just come off the cup and I looked in, and I look up to the front, and I have Forsberg, Sakic, Hedu, Tangay. I have all these players to pass to. <laughs> Easy to like, throw it up Danny. the ice to those yeah. guys, <laughs> right? And Peter Forsberg that year that I moved, that I went in, that had a, he was a top point guy in the league. So you know, we would just try to get him the. Well, I, would, I don't know about anybody else, but I would try to get him the puck and then just find open space. So what I learned from all of them, probably learned the most from Patrick Waugh, Believe it or not, Patrick Waugh was. Everybody has the thing about him. He was mean. He was hard. He was this. What he was was honest, and he would hold me accountable to everything I did, and he saw it differently than any other goalie I ever played with. He understood the game at an extremely high level, so when he could see me and all the play coming at us as defense, and he could break it down and tell me what to do, you know? So I learned from different people. Believe it or not, I learned a lot from a goalie.
0: That's amazing. (sighs)
3: Yeah, I don't tell any goalies that because we don't need to pass that around where they think they're going to tell us what to do out there, but <laughs> he was the one fortunate one that could.
2: You were one of the only guys, and still to this day, I mean, goalies kind of get the free pass from everyone. You used to give it to the goalies. It was unbelievable, and it was probably for that reason where, like you said, you learned a lot from Patty, and you respected what he did, and... I remember you always saying if you can get a guy to sauce it on a two-on-one and then it's the goalie's shot because it gives him time to get over. And I remember you saying, Patty Waugh used to say that. And just like the predictability of you know, the guys in front of you and the guy behind you, is. Uh, I remember you always holding the goalies accountable, which was uh, always fun to see.
0: Mo, well, real I, quick, talk about your you, you had a brief stint here in Boston and obviously your, your boys were able to play in the Charlestown youth hockey program. So talk to us a little bit and, and and one other thing was uh which I thought was awesome was because I was watching a highlight was you played at Fenway in, in a game there and didn't did you have a, a game, game winning, winning goal Apple. or Apple. Apple?
2: Yeah. No, a slap pass. Man. Yes. yes. Remember, that's my one yes. Claim to defend, dude. Dude. Yes. No, remember the goal you scored from outside the blue too? <laughs> oh
3: I mean, yeah. against LA, right?
2: Yeah, yeah I've quick? heard
3: that one a lot too. I score I thought I scored a nice goal somewhere in the mix, but apparently those are the two that we remember Th- all the
2: that, time. But that I, pass, you get, Was it to Savard <laughs> or record? No, no 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 it's to Stern. stern who is it
0: to
3: Reckie tipped it in front stern scored the overtime and uh on it but Reckie, we, we had set that up because i said if it goes d to d Reckie was so good at getting position and anything you could put there he'd have position that your stick was his stick was there yeah. like he would just he'd be like listen if you get it here i'll get position just find it and it worked out you know and that was because of him but charlestown hockey was probably the best experience of my life um You know, we went in there late. We didn't know what to do. Thank goodness for uh, Harold Yandel, or if we want to call him Buddy. (laughs) Buddy Yandel would take us around and and just made the experience incredible, put us in a situation with a great coach that obviously we were in the lower level. I think we played the City League at the time in Charlestown, so the teams weren't real deep. They didn't have all the top-end kids. But, man, this guy taught my children more than I've ever known, and it's all because of your dad to be honest. And to listen, I still call you. I did when I, when I was started coaching, who's the first person I called, but buddy Yandel, because I look at what you guys do. I look at the respect he had around Charlestown, around Boston in the rinks and the knowledge he had. So I didn't go into coaching and everything, understanding everything. I, I reached out and I used people because of experiences I had. And thank God for that experience in Boston, because my kids, still talk about the townies that we played on we still have the jersey hanging in their room they still put it on occasionally to wear it around it was that good. unreal jerseys too in the Boston. red white and blue
0: red white oh, and blue man, with, the, were... with the monument in the middle
2: <laughs> yeah, i remember yeah. you calling me you were you, you it was going to like your first game or something and you had the big escalade you had the tvs you had the satellite on top and you were like lost or something like that and didn't you run into one of my uncles and he was like ah just follow me i'll take you to the rink
3: yeah, it was. That is hilarious. I was down on that. It was a spear that goes down. Sorry about my knowledge of Boston. is getting old with my age, but uh, I think spear goes down by Fenway park, right? Or does it cool around there? Or there's that one freeway. But anyways, I was on the road and it came to a four way pass and this guy's yelling across the way like Derek, Derek. And I'd only been there for like three weeks, man. And I was like, who in the heck is this? So he pulled over and I'm like, he's like, I'm Yandel's uncle or whatever it was. And I was like, Oh, I'm trying to find a rink and he took me right there. So I had great people around me to teach me around and, and, and experience Boston, man. It was you guys live in an amazing city, man. And I was very privileged and fortunate to have that opportunity to play there and, and obviously spend more time around there and learn a bit more through your dad. Like thank, I think I'm gonna thank your dad again when I have an opportunity to talk to him because it's made a huge experience or made a huge touch on my coaching career and I believe I'm a better coach because I listened to your dad's advice. So all that came out of playing in Boston.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. No, he uh we're, we're very fortunate to have him around and especially for me to bounce stuff off and that's been one of the hottest things is is around here you're not allowed to really have extra people in the rink and it's like one parent per player and all that and it's like a good thing it yeah it it is but it's (laughs) it's hard to not have like it's funny a lot of the dads and stuff like yeah we miss seeing buddy in the rink and just being able to he has such a calming presence and to you know for for our parents who probably like my my son's team say they're 10 years 10 year olds and parents are like all rattled because their kid didn't score a goal and my father's looking at him like just go grab a beer after the game and and relax and have fun like it's saturday you know what i mean like the bats are on tomorrow relax
3: right no it's uh yeah parents are way too involved let's just say that way in youth hockey the ones that stay I've, i've noticed in my experience the ones that just come up and say hey what's little johnny got to do extra how's it going is he doing good those kids seem to be the ones that are succeeding and the ones that I'm fighting with parents trying to tell them, like, listen, he's got to do this before he's going to get that. You know, those one, those kids don't seem to be growing as fast here. I can't speak for everywhere else, but the kids that the parents are just there doing what Buddy Yandel says to do, their kids seem to be successful. There's obviously something to be said with that. Stay out of the way and just be a parent. I always tell people, if I give a kid trouble on the ice, And I'm riding them, okay, the half wall. So the D-man comes around the net, hits the half wall, and the defenseman pinches down. I want him to chip that off the wall, right, or hit his offside D in front. My kids have to chip it off the wall. We're not experienced enough to see that pass yet. So if they can't chip it off the wall, I'll tell the parent, listen, this is what I'm looking for, this child to execute this play when it's pinched down. He's got to get it. So what happens? The kid tries it in practice, messes up goes home to his parents, they tell him, little little Johnny, you got to do what coach is telling you, and it takes that safe area away. Thank God, like, your dad was smart. He coached you, and probably when he left, it was just dad. You know, Mm -hmm. he gave you a safe area to go home and bitch about what you're doing or go work on hockey or just get away from the game and have a safe area to feel safe. We're doing a disservice doing both with the parents too involved, and the kids just are lost. They can't find a spot where they can just, vent what they need to because they feel like they're always under the eye you know and out here with with what we have a lot of parents have probably less knowledge than you guys have out there of the game and therefore it's more magnified than it may be
0: that. Well, the ring shrinks can be heard anywhere. So make <laughs> sure you pass this info around. And, and Mots and I, obviously, uh, we try to do our best to educate people. And we know everywhere is different. But I know you're coaching at the 07 level. You're also helping, you know, 14s, 16s, 18s. And, you know, you're very involved in the game. So you're, you're seeing a lot of hockey out there. And. One other thing I wanted to touch on was how, has like the Austin Matthews effect, uh, you know, with 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 kids out there, does everybody think they're going to be the next the next AM thirty four?
2: Remember him skating with us when he was like fourteen years old, and he was better than everybody else out there. <laughs>
3: yeah, I do. He, he's uh, you know what? He's that special talent man. He went all over the valley, played everywhere. He didn't necessarily play in one organization. He was just a hockey nut, right? Kids nowadays, I, I don't know if our kids think they're... Our, our kids out here, goal, and they believe they can make a lot, is to college. Mm. You know, we're, uh, we don't have the same, probably, as there, where they're setting their goal to go to the NHL right away. They're setting their goal to go to college. And obviously, they all want to be Austin Matthews, but they realize he's a special player. Our kids out here are smart enough to understand that it's a once-in-a-generation you know generation type player that came out of here. And... Our kids aren't trying to do that. They're just trying. They they believe that they can get to
0: college, and I think that's a fair assessment and goal for a lot of them here. How has it been with um, with Arizona State being a Division one program now? That must be pretty cool to at least. I mean, one of the best things about growing up here was, especially in Boston. I mean, you could literally go to a BC, a BU, a Northeast, and a Harvard any game. Yeah, we went to more college. We went to more college games because we it was cheaper and all that stuff. But it really made us love the game, and you saw passionate fans and young kids, and you know the, the, the crowds were really involved, and it was it was awesome just to be able to grow up. But for you guys to now have Arizona State, has that has that been pretty cool with the you know as a partnership?
3: Yeah, they're you know they're they're still fairly new. Um, what they have what, the biggest thing with us the challenge with Arizona State is they play out of a rink called Oceanside and it holds about that's 500 people that's where they play? The yeah so they're, they've been talking Yikes. for 5-6 years now of building a rink and it's not built yet so um, they play out of the ocean side. So really we don't get the, like, you go to BU, man. You walk in that rink and the hair stands up on the back of your neck. I still get it when I'm a player, when I walk into some of these college rinks. Like, I went to North Dakota last year to play in a tournament. I walked in there and just the setup, everything about it. You know, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, when we went there, like, they don't have that, that here. So I don't think the kids are quite getting what, you know, if you go to BU. For example, talk about the townies. My, my children both played in the finals of the city wide tournament and where did they play but BU that's their best experience in youth hockey right now was walking on that ice and having that hair stand up on the back of your neck and everybody cheering you know yeah. we don't have that here so we're fighting that a little bit still so the, the, the everybody loves it and follows it but we don't get the experience like you're talking about where i believe if we had a world class rink like those have kids would go there and say like wow this is what I wanna do. You know, they're going to oceanside. We play in it every day with our tournaments, you know. So yeah, it's... It's, the experience isn't quite the
0: same as what you guys have. Yeah, and our kids even I mean, they take it for granted. They don't realize how good they have it, that's for sure. Just to be able to go in and watch one of those games at any Friday night, Saturday night. And, you know, we'll go in, play in between periods or play before, you know, play an hour before the game and Parents will go up and have a bite to eat and, and come back and watch the game. It's pretty, uh, pretty unique. But hopefully, Arizona State will get a uh, somehow scrape together some funds out there. Uh, it, it seems yeah, like the school donate
2: a, donate a rink. You got enough cake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they. You know what? You funny and Matthews they've maybe chip in. They told me enough that uh, that
3: they're going to have this rink built, and little do they know, I have one of the kids that I coach. His dad's here, moved here from another city, Chicago, to play here. To, to build the rink and he hasn't started it so there's a mixed communication there. i don't know what's going on i know they like playing in oceanside because the way asu, ASU plays is like a um like a midget AAA league we, they bring it to the wall they chip it they fly down and they try to chase it down well they're on a smaller rink they're big and heavy so they have really good success at home and they struggle on the bigger ice so you know i don't know if they're pushing too hard to have that rink yet i don't
0: mm, yeah that's interesting well, Mo, I mean, it's been a pleasure. Obviously, we could sit here and and in, in, in ragtime for days, and and you know, obviously, there's no bigger fan of yours than the Yandel family, that's for sure. And and my father definitely uh, has the same amount of respect for you as you do for him. We've always uh, idolized you as a person, and the way you took care of Keith coming into the league, and um, you know, from living in him living in your house, and us going out there on vacation, and my father would be sitting at home and there'd be a new driver showing up at the front door and one that you got sick of so we've always had the utmost respect (laughs) for you and we really uh we really appreciate you coming on the rink shrinks podcast and hopefully we can we can continue this conversation another time
3: yeah no thanks i think this is just you guys are doing such a great thing informing people I, i just i think we lose the information that we need to give kids at youth levels and what really to expect and the more you guys can get it out there, the I just believe it's a better success rate for kids when they start thinking the way you're talking. And God bless you guys for doing what you're doing because th- this is much needed in sports.
0: We were uh, very lucky to have Keith Yandel and Derek Morris on today. I think the parents and, and and players can really learn a lot from these two guys. And there's you know, there's two unbelievable guys that have had long NHL careers that people can learn from. So we really appreciate those guys coming on. And obviously with Derek, giving a perspective from uh, how hockey is in the state of Arizona was uh, was pretty cool. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Integral Hockey Boston. And make sure you go to the website IntegralHockeyBoston.com and put in the discount code SHRINKS for 10% off. And you can email Joe with any questions. J. Bartel B-A-R-T-E-L-L at IntegralHockey.com. Again, they are for a sponsor. Mo, uh, Motts loves the product. I'm gonna use mine tonight. I can't wait to snap it around with it. and uh, once again, thanks for listening. We'll uh, we'll see you soon.